Good morning, church family. Happy Sabbath to you. I'm going to try my best to, to do this this morning because I've got, um, I started some medication the last week that causes me to cough a little bit. So forgive me if that happens. It also is supposed to lower my blood pressure. So if I go down below the pulpit, don't worry, I'll be back shortly. Okay. Let's start with a tale. In the old times, or shall we say, once upon a time, when it was still of some use to wish for the thing one wanted, there lived a king, whose daughters were all handsome, but the youngest was so beautiful that the son himself, who had seen so much, wondered each time he shone over her because of her beauty. Near the royal castle there was a great dark wood, and in the woods under an old linden tree was a well. And when the day was hot, the king's daughter used to go forth into the woods and sit by the brink of the cool well, and if the time seemed long, she would take out a golden ball and throw it up and catch it again, and this was her favorite pastime. Now it happened one day that the golden ball, instead of falling back into the maiden's little hand, which had sent it, sent it aloft, dropped to the ground near the edge of the well and rolled in. The king's daughter followed it with her eyes as it sank, but the well was deep, so deep that at the bottom it could not be seen. Then she began to weep, and she wept and wept as if she could never be comforted. And in the midst of her weeping, she heard a voice saying to her, What ails thee, king's daughter? Thy tears would melt a heart of stone. And when she looked to see where the voice came from, there was nothing but a frog stretching his thick, ugly head out of the water. Oh, it is you, old waddler, she said. I weep because my golden ball has fallen into the well. Never mind, do not weep, answered the frog. I can help you. But what will you give me if I fetch up your ball again? Whatever you like, dear frog, she said. Any of my clothes, my pearls and jewels, and even the golden crown that I wear. Thy clothes, thy pearls and jewels, and thy golden crown are not for me, answered the frog. But if thou wouldst love me, and have me for thy companion and playfellow, and let me sit by thee at the table, and eat from thy plate, if thou wouldst promise all these, then I would dive below the water, and fetch thee thy ball again. Oh yes, she answered, I will promise it all, whatever you want. If you will only get me my ball again. But she thought to herself, what nonsense he talks. As if he could do anything but sit in the water and croak with the other frogs, or could possibly be anyone's companion. But the frog, as soon as he had heard her promise, drew his head under the water and sank down out of sight. But after a while he came to the surface again with the ball in his mouth, and he threw it on the grass. The king's daughter was overjoyed to see her pretty plaything again and she caught it up and ran off with it. Stop, stop, cried the frog. Take me up too. I cannot run as fast as you. But it was of no use, for croak, croak, after her as he might, she would not listen to him, but made haste home, and very soon forgot all about the poor frog, who had to betake himself to his well again. Well, the next day, when the king's daughter was sitting at the table with the king and all the court, and eating from her golden plate, there came something pitter-patter, the marble stairs. And then there came a knocking at the door and a voice crying, youngest king's daughter, let me in. And she got up and ran to see who it could be. But when she opened the door, there was the frog sitting outside. Then she shut the door hastily and went back to her seat, feeling very uneasy. 
The king noticed how quickly her heart was beating and said, My child, what are you afraid of? Is there a giant standing at the door ready to carry you away? Oh, no, she answered, no giant but a horrid frog. And when does the, what does the frog want, asked the king. Oh, dear father, answered, the, answered she, when I was sitting by the well yesterday and playing with my golden ball, it fell into the water, and while I was crying for the loss of it, the frog came and got it again, and for me, on condition, I would let him be my companion. But I never thought that he, would, he could leave the water and come after me. But now there he is outside the door, and he wants to come in for me. And then they all heard him knocking the second time and crying, Youngest king daughter, open to me. By the well water, what promise you me? Youngest king daughter, now open to me. That which thou hast promised must thou perform, said the king. So go now and let him in. Well, the story goes on, and as you might guess, the frog in the end becomes what? A handsome prince. You may recognize this as a tale from the Brothers Grimm. There are probably about 20 different variations on this story. And each one, this is called the Frog King, and each tale is designed to have a moral or a point. In this tale, the central theme is the statement, Thou which thou hast promised, must thou perform. For in doing so, in the end, you eventually get what you want. A prince. Or maybe what you didn't want. Maybe just warts. And this morning we have the story of a king a king of Judah, who made a promise that he felt compelled that he had to perform. In the books of Chronicle, these books are people that most people don't really relish reading. Because much of the first book is a genealogical account of the Old Testament era players and an account of God's people. And yet, herein lies some of the richest testimonies of God's tender heart, his merciful intentions, and his vast patience with the human race. Most people think of God of the Old Testament as harsh, demanding, and more than willing to wipe out whole people groups. And to the contrary, we find a long-suffering God, who despite the failures of many faithful men, he still cared greatly for them and showed great amounts of patience and forgiveness. One such account would be that of King Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat came to the throne over the people of Judah at the age of 35. In his day, many of the kings were evil, especially in Israel. Only about 50% of the kings of Judah could be said to be good kings, and Jehoshaphat was one of the few. He took over the kingdom of Judah from his father, King Asa. Now Asa was also one of the good guys who laid the groundwork for his son's reign. Asa created reforms that protected God's people from much of the sin that occurred in the so-called high places and by the Asherah poles. It was Jehoshaphat who, understanding the will of God, actually went even further by eliminating those places altogether. So this morning I'd like you to read along with me. So we're going to pick up the story in 2 Chronicles chapter 17. So if you turn in your Bibles, 2 Chronicles chapter 17. Now keep in mind that Jehoshaphat studied under his father for about 35 years and learned leadership skills and a love for God from his father. An important point to keep in mind is to consider the influence we have over our kids and the young men and women with whom we come in contact. Asa's influence is quite apparent as we observe the life of his son. Now, 35 is the age at which in this country you can actually become, what, president of the United States, right? 
because that's an age where we recognize somebody as pretty much be fully mature in their thinking and, then, and to have the ability to take responsible actions. So at the age of 35, Jehoshaphat is mature enough to take the reins of a major kingdom. So let's read. Let's start with verse 1 in 2 Chronicles 17. And it says, Jehoshaphat, his son, succeeded him as king and strengthened himself against Israel. He stationed troops in the fortified cities of Judah and put garrisons in Judah and in the towns of Ephraim that his father Asa had captured. Now the Lord was with Jehoshaphat because in his early years he walked in the ways of his father David. His father David had followed. He did not consult the Baals and sought the God of his father and followed his commands rather than the practices of Israel. The Lord established the kingdom under his control, and all Judah brought gifts to Jehoshaphat so that he had great wealth and honor. His heart was devoted to the ways of the Lord. Furthermore, he removed the high places and the asteropoles from Judah. Let me stop there. Now, moms and dads, Consider the daily influence that you have on your kids by simply observing how you conduct yourself, the things you say, and the manner in which you handle different situations. These influence the behaviors and attitudes of our children. There really is nothing more horrifying than to observe your child dealing with a situation in a way that is less than godly and to realize where they really picked that up from. How many times have you blurted something out and said, Whoa, wait a minute. That was my dad. I just heard my dad speaking. Or my mom, right? You kind of hear that coming out, and you realize you've become your mother or your father. And don't miss the point that it was Jehoshaphat's early years that shaped his walk with God. His heart was devoted to the ways of God early on in his life. It is never too soon to teach our children about following the ways of God and but but. And what better way to do that than to model it ourselves? So we can see in the first two years in office that everything went well for Jehoshaphat. He stationed troops for protection, fortifying the cities. He developed the infrastructure of the kingdom, setting up storehouses, and really just took care of business. He did this so well that not only was he recognized by the people within his kingdom, but also from those on the bordering countries. To the point where they came and they delivered gifts to him in adding to the wealth of Judah. Now, that kind of sounds like another king that we've heard of before, doesn't it? Solomon. And in his third year, you know, for, for Jehoshaphat, that's when things really started to take off. So we'll read a little bit more, starting with verse 7. In the third year of his reign, he sent his officials, Ben-Hale, Obadiah, Zechariah, Nathaniel, and Micaiah, to teach in the towns of Judah. Drop into verse 9. They taught throughout Judah, taking with them the book of the law of the Lord. And they went around all the towns of Judah and taught the people. The fear of the Lord fell on the kingdoms of the land surrounding Judah, so they did not make war with Jehoshaphat. Some Philistines brought Jehoshaphat gifts and silver as tribute, and the Arabs brought him flocks, 7,700 rams and 7,700 goats. Jehoshaphat became more and more powerful. He built forts and store cities in Judah, and had large supplies in the towns of Judah. He also kept experienced fighting men in Jerusalem. So what do we learn from this part of the story? Well, let me read you a little something, a paragraph from the chapter in the book, Prophets and Kings. The chapter is called Jehoshaphat. Throughout the kingdom, the people were in need of instruction in the law of God. 
In an understanding of this law lay their safety. By conforming their lives to its requirements, they would become loyal both to God and to man. Knowing this, Jehoshaphat took steps to ensure to his people through instruction in the Holy Scriptures. The princes in charge of the different portions of the realm were directed to arrange for the faithful ministry of teaching priests. By royal appointment, these instructors, working under the direct supervision of the princes, princes, went about throughout all the cities of Judah and taught the people. And as many endeavored to understand God's requirements and to put away sin, a revival was effected. Now, as Adventists, we often talk about revival, don't we? It's something that we long for. And we recognize also that the lethargy that sets in when we distance ourselves from regular study life and from prayer, that revival requires an understanding of what God expects of us, actively putting away the sin in our lives and devoting a sense of urgency and a passion for knowing God. If we seek true revival, perhaps we must endeavor to realize the same actions and responses that Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah did. It was in making provision for the spiritual development in addition to the civil um, improvements that Jehoshaphat owed his success as a king. Now, this instruction occurred in his third year. However, not all the decisions he made in his third year were good ones. You see, he sought to improve relations between Judah and Israel on his own terms and and thought that he could do so through marriage, by marrying one of his children off with one of Ahab's. How rare in history has the strategy of unifying nations through marriage really worked? So let's drop down to chapter 18, and we'll read a little bit there. Now it says in verse 1, Now Joseph had great wealth and honor, and he allied himself with Ahab by marriage. Now do we all remember Ahab? Certainly, if not by his own reputation, by that of his wife Jezebel, right? Some years later he went down to visit Ahab in Samaria, and Ahab slaughtered many sheep and cattle for him and the people with him and urged him to attack Ramoth Gilead. Ahab, king of Israel, asked Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, will you go with me against Ramoth Gilead? Now the reason he asked him this is because at one time Ahab had control over that area, but he lost it. And so he was really intent on getting it back, and so he needed some support. Jehoshaphat replied, I am as you are, and my people as your people. We will join you in the war. But Jehoshaphat also said to the king of Israel, First seek the counsel of the Lord. Now note here that Jehoshaphat makes a pledge to Ahab. And then he suggests that they seek God's guidance in the matter. Kind of seems like it should be the other way around, right? For that reason, most of the rest of the story is kind of moot. Because once he's made that pledge and, 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 and sworn that support with Ahab, there was really kind of no going back. There was no breaking the promise. But we'll read on anyway. Verse 5, so the king of Israel brought together the prophets, 400 men, and asked them, Shall we go to war against Ramoth Gilead, or shall I refrain? Go, they answered, for God will give it into the king's hand. Now I'm going to suggest that perhaps we've come across these 400 prophets before. And if you remember the story of, also with Ahab, right, at his time in Jezebel's, there were 400 prophets that went up against Elijah, right? on Mount Carmel, had a little bit of a contest to see whose bulls would be burned up by fire from their god or gods. And as we know, we know how that story turned out. But we also found out, find in that story that these are 400 prophets of Asherah, the same problem that Jehoshaphat had in his own city. 
kind of an interesting resemblance. Anyway, going on, verse 6, but Jehoshaphat asked, is there not a prophet of the Lord here whom we can inquire of? The king of Israel answered Jehoshaphat, well, there is still one man through whom we can inquire of the Lord, but I hate him because he never prophesies anything good about me, but always bad. He is Micaiah, son of Imlah. Now, we've heard of Micaiah before because he was one of the people that Jehoshaphat sent out to teach the law, right, to the people in Judah. The king should not say that, Jehoshaphat replied. So the king of Israel called one of his officials and said, Bring Micaiah, son of Imlah, at once. All the other prophets were prophesying the same thing. Attack Ramoth, Gilead, and be victorious, they said, for the Lord will give it into the king's hand. Well, the messenger who had gone to summon Micaiah said to him, Look, just like they were one man, the other prophets are predicting, predicting success for the king. Let your word agree with theirs and speak favorably. But Micaiah said, As surely as the Lord lives, I can tell him only what my God says. When he arrived, the king asked him, Micaiah, shall we go to war against Ramoth, Gilead, or shall I refrain? Attack and be victorious, he answered, for they will be given into your hand. That sounds like he's saying the same thing, doesn't it? king didn't take it that way. He said, king said to him, how many times must I make you swear to tell me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? Probably a little frustrated here. Then Micaiah answered, I saw all Israel scattered on the hills like sheep without a shepherd. And the Lord said, these people have no master. Let each one go home in peace. Well, the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that he never prophesies anything good about me, but only bad? So which way does he want it? Is a wise counselor one who always tells you what you want to hear? Or is it one who tells you what you need to hear? Ahab was a king, and he could have easily taken care of Micaiah and put him away. But he didn't. And why is that? Well, perhaps not wanting to hear bad news from Micaiah, he well knew that his prophecies were dead on right. And eliminating him would only eliminate his only source of truthful information. How often do we do this in our own experience? We're told the path we should follow, but yet we don't. We choose to ignore the right answer. Do we do this in areas like perhaps diet, eating those things that drag down our health over time, ignoring the warning signs that might save us pain or even death? Do we listen to wise counsel in our financial affairs? Or do we make unwise spending decisions that jeopardize our financial wealth and our ability to adequately care for our families? How about important decisions and choices in regards to a deep and meaningful relationship with God? This book gives us wise counsel, the Bible. But if we don't read it, or better yet, ignore its counsel, because it often seems to be bad news or advice we don't want to hear, is it any surprise when we fail to find success in the important aspects of our life, even our spiritual life? Now, a week ago, I had an experience. I wasn't here last Sabbath, as you know. I was uh, traveling up north with my daughter. And um, we left on Thursday night, about 12 midnight, heading for Sacramento, where we were going to pick up, then close out her apartment in Sacramento and move her to Chico. So we thought we could do this uh, by leaving at midnight, travel all night, get there in the morning, pack up, move her, and be done. And everything was going pretty well. We got onto the freeway about midnight, as planned, and we drove a little ways, and we... Um, just before the 57 freeway, we saw a sign on the side from Caltrans that said there was construction going on at uh, the 91. There would be a detour. Okay. 
the warning sign was there. We thought, eh, how bad could it be? Let's just keep on moving instead of trying to detour. Well, at the same time, I had a GPS in my hand that showed that the freeway was actually closed completely. Well, this doesn't jive. It doesn't make sense. This is not right. So we went headlong into it, and sure enough, the freeway was closed because a big rig had turned over, flipped over onto both sides of the freeway, and on our side of the freeway, there was at least seven cars in different fashions of wreck, and they were all over the place, and it took a long time for us to get through. So we got past that, and we moved on, and as we got into, got into East L.A., saw another Caltrans sign that said that all the narrow, lanes were going to narrow down to one, and the GPS was saying, get off and go around. Well, if you're like me and you're in East L.A., you're not going to get off and go around, are you? So we stayed on, struggled through a very long, what seemed forever, of lanes doing this with big trucks not letting you in. And finally we got in and got through. But okay, here we go. We're finally on our way. We're not going to be too late. A little ways further. Another sign from Caltrans saying, the I-5 is closed at the 126. Well, wait a minute. You can't close down the I-5. That's a major artery, major artery, right? What does the GPS say? Get on the 118 and go through Lancaster. I'm thinking, no, I'm sure this has been taken care of. So, three and a half hours later, we're past Magic Mountain. We didn't listen. Wise advice was right in front of us. We chose not to listen. Listen to your GPS. It does know something. Jehoshaphat most often understood the will of God, and he heeded the counsel of the scriptures. But in his third year, he first entered into an alliance with Ahab that was neither necessary or safe for Judah. Taking it a step further, he allowed Ahab to influence him by supporting a war that was not supported by God. In the end, the forces of Judah and Israel were routed and sent home. Jehoshaphat had most often followed the rule of God, of the Lord. But during this time in his life, he formed an unhealthy alliance and let someone else with less integrity and commitment to God influence his decision-making. As we look inwardly, do we let others, especially those who do not follow God, greatly influence our thinking influence our actions. What was it about Ahab that caused Jehoshaphat to toss out the window the path he had set down in his first two years of a king? Did he see the successes of his life as emanating from God or from himself? Did he think that he needed to spread his kingdom further based on his own ambition? Why this lapse in judgment? Those are hard questions to answer, but it only goes to prove that the older we get, not necessarily do we get any smarter or wiser in our decisions. So let's finish reading. Verse 25. The king of Israel then ordered, Take Micaiah and send him back to Ammon, the ruler of the city, and to Joash, the king's son. And say, This is what the king says. Put this fellow in prison and give him nothing but bread and water until I return safely. To that, Micaiah declared, If you ever return safely. The Lord has not spoken through me. Then he added, Mark my words, all you people. So the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, king of Judah, went up to Ramoth-Gilead. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, I will enter the battle in disguise, but you wear your royal robes. So the king of Israel disguised himself and went into battle. Pretty sneaky, huh? Now the king of Am Aram had ordered his chariot commanders, Do not fight with anyone small or great except the king of Israel. When the chariot commanders saw Jehoshaphat, they thought, This is the king of Israel. So they turned to attack him, but Jehoshaphat cried out, and the Lord helped him. 
God drew them away from him, for when the chariot commander saw that he was not the king of Israel, they stopped pursuing him. And note this. But someone drew his bow at random and hit the king of Israel between the sections of his armor. And the king told the chariot driver, wheel around and get me out of the fighting. I've been wounded. All day long, the battle raged, and the king of Israel propped himself up in his chariot, facing the Arameans until evening. Then at sunset, he died. There's much more to the story about Jehoshaphat. He made other bad decisions during his reign, but overall, he continued to trust in God obey his precepts, and use his influence to lead his people into a path of serving God. God respects and stands by the person who seeks him and constantly moves in God's direction, despite the fact that they may make some bad choices and have lapses in judgment. David is another great example of this. Like Jehoshaphat, he was guilty of a poor decision, even to the point of the death of Uriah. But God still loved David, because of the condition of his heart. Although David swerved off course because of his passions, he always course corrected and moved in the direction towards God. So, what do we take away this morning from the story of a king? Where are the lessons learned? Well, first, we must remember that when we place God first in our lives and we follow the plan that he has set for us, we will in the long run find much success in our living. Second, it is prudent for us to avoid unhealthy alliances, those alliances that may obstruct our ability to follow the path that God is leading us, whether it be in marital union, in business partnerships, or in our spiritual journey. Let God be our partner. With God as our ally, we need no other. Third, remember, God picks the battles. God picks the course, whether in our home life, our work life, our church life, our church ministry, God picks the path we must follow. In Judah, they realized prosperity, safety, and peace under Jehoshaphat because most often they let God do the leading. It was when Jehoshaphat made the decisions based on his own logic that they got themselves into trouble. We need to listen to God and let him lead the way. Fourth, listen to the wise advice of our spiritual GPS. Right here. And most of all, trust its advice. And finally, the collective stories of this period of time tell us a great deal about God. Despite several bad judgment calls and a few blunders, God blessed Jehoshaphat and his rule and gave Judah what was called peace on every side, with every neighbor and under all circumstances. God provided forgiveness to the king Jehoshaphat and blessed him, and it was God who remained faithful to him. Our God is a God of love, and he wants the best for each one of us. And what he requires of us is to listen to him through his word, to speak to him and seek his counsel through prayer, and to let him lead us in a path towards a kingdom far greater than any ever seen on this earth, the kingdom of God. When we catch a glimpse of God and it changes our life, then we are truly on a path towards revival. Let's pray. Father God, we're so thankful to have been in your house this morning to come and to praise and worship you. Truly, Father, you are the one in control. And when we recognize that, you lead us across a path that heads in the right direction. And Father, we just pray that you may help each person here today to find the time to spend to study in your word, to find the time to speak with you, 
and most of all, Father, to let you do the leading in each one of our lives. Father, I just ask the Sabbath day's blessing as we leave here this morning and keep us until we come back next week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.